What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But to me, the best use of the Camino is it's a metaphor for our life right now, and especially what's going on right now. Uh, and that may be years of being a parent or um, taking care of someone who's ill, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that, that there are many inner Caminos that we must walk. And that that privileged time to go to Spain and walk that Camino can just be a very powerful, clear mirror and metaphor for all of life. And sometimes we need a time out to see how everyday life is truly pilgrimage. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and we have another special episode for you guys this week. Uh, hopefully, you listened to the last one uh, with our special guest, Melanie Forsyth, um, dear friend of ours, um, and uh, the, the widow of um, another dear friend, our friend Simon Forsyth, uh, friend, pastor, mentor, um, who passed away uh, a year ago um, while he was getting ready to embark on... Um, a pilgrimage in, in Spain. So, uh, we spent the better part of the last year trying to figure out a way to best honor our friend, um, and maybe help people understand a little bit about what he was getting ready to embark on. Um, cause not a lot of people are familiar with, uh, the Camino. Um, I, I think we kind of joke on last week's episode, you know, that, or maybe it's this one. I don't know. It's all blending together, but, um, we joked about the fact that, you know, it, it's not a car, you know, we're not, not talking about a Camaro, uh, it's the Camino, and and what is the Camino? And it's this uh, it's this spiritual path that a lot of people for hundreds and hundreds of years have uh, traveled on, um, either by foot or by uh, bicycle, which is what Simon was going to do. Um, and so, for a lot of people who um, whose lives were touched uh, by Simon in some way, shape, or form, 
whether it was uh, for a few days or, you know, maybe even for a few minutes while he was um, Uber driving because uh, he did that for a little bit um, on the side. Um, and, or or if people had, you know, people that have known him for years. Um, a lot of folks knew he was getting ready to uh, go on this journey um, during his sabbatical, but not a lot of people know what it is. And I'll be honest, uh, Adam and I knew a little bit about it, but um, this episode, uh, this interview is very educational for us as well. So um, so we, we go deep into uh, what it is, why people might want to go on this sort of uh, journey and uh, what they might expect. And so, um, so yeah, so this is our best effort at trying to help paint a picture uh, for folks um, who may never have the opportunity to go or just are kind of curious, um, you know, what was Simon up to, um, you know, in the days before his passing. So, um, so yeah, so we'll get to that here in a second, but um, some housekeeping uh, before we get into the, the interview. Um, thank you so much to everybody who continues to support us, um, either just by sending um, encouraging emails, um, you know, engaging with us on social media, um, supporting us on Patreon, um, and, and all that good stuff. So it, it really means a lot to us, and, and we really appreciate it. Um, we're still trying to get back to all the emails that, that we keep getting. So if you haven't heard from us... Um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to dig through the emails. So, um, uh, other than that, this week we have some special music on by a band called rivers and robots. Um, so if you like the music again, please go out and support the artist. Uh, we'll have all of the social media and, uh, and, and links in the show notes. Um, likewise, if you, if you like the music that we use, um, we have a Spotify playlist that you can follow. Um, and so every new episode that we have, uh, we add, the band from that episode to the playlist. So you can kind of listen along and listen back to uh, previous artists that we've used uh, going back to almost four years now. So I think, I believe this is our four year anniversary coming up in a couple of weeks. So pretty exciting. Can't believe we've been doing it this long. So anyway, um, thanks again. And in a couple of weeks, we'll come back with another new episode. We have uh, two more um, episodes coming at the end of the year here. So a couple in December that we're really excited about two very different types of guests. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoy the, the variety there. Um, so we're very excited to, uh, uh, to bring those to you and then, uh, we'll take our usual break in January and then, uh, hopefully hit the ground running in the new year and, uh, get back to our, our usual biweekly schedule. So thanks uh, for hanging in there and, uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as we did doing it. And, um, and again, if you haven't listened to, the, the uh, last interview that we did, the last episode uh, with Melanie Forsyth. Please go back and listen to that one and then listen to this one. Um, the two really do go together. And so, um, so again, without further ado, introduce this week's guest. If you haven't seen already, it's our uh, longtime uh, standing champion, as we call him. He's been on the uh, podcast more than any other guest, I think, at this point. So um, we just love him. And every time he comes on, uh, we just have such a great time with him, such great conversations. He's so full of uh, wisdom and just love and, um, and, and kindness. And, and hopefully you guys feel that um, in, in the interview. But he is a, kind of our local expert. When we were trying to figure out who to bring on to talk about the Camino, we thought, who better than the guy who leads guided tours of the Camino and has a book out called Returning uh, from Camino. And so uh, definitely recommend you check out that book. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, you can get it on Amazon right now. Uh, pretty cheap. And then, of course, Heart and Mind, his seminal work, um, is out there as well. Definitely recommend that one. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoy this one. And uh, without further ado, Alexander freaking 
Shia. All right, well, I mean, this is, this is one for the books here. Alexander, John, Shia, that we call you behind your back and to your face. <laughs> sweet, sweet Uncle Shia, because we just feel so close to you. <laughs> and uh, we love you so, so much from the bottom of our hearts. And it's just such a, a treat to have you back talking about some, some new things, some old things, some perennial things, and, and really just all the things. So, so thank you so much for coming back once again onto the Deconstructionist Podcast. We're just tickled that you're here. Well, it's, I have missed you. Truly, really missed you. So this is just sweet to be back together. Ah, thank you so much. Um, and, and honestly, when we were, Adam and I were, were thinking of, and obviously uh, listeners would have already listened, hopefully, to our intro by now, but um, this episode is, is really special for us. And when we were thinking of how to honor our friend Simon um, in, in whatever way we could, uh, we thought of you because, you know, we consider you the, the expert when it comes to uh, the Camino, which is the, the journey that our friend Simon was ready to embark on. And so when we thought of um, just any excuse we could to get you back on the show and, and, and to talk to you, um, we thought, what a perfect tribute. And so, um, so we would love to talk about that. And you've got a great book out. And um, Simon actually had a copy of your book. Um, so first and foremost, for people listening, some may be familiar with what the Camino is. Many may, may not be familiar. What is the Camino? Um, and and uh, why is this so important to so many people? Uh, huge, huge question. Let me see if I can simplify this. Uh, the Camino is a route uh, largely across Spain that ends somewhere in the northwest corner of Spain called that part of Spain, which is called Galicia. And for Christians, the walk is going to the supposed tomb of the evangelist and apostle St. James. Um, and we can talk a little bit about how James left uh, Israel, Palestine, and went to Spain to evangelize, and then went back to Israel where he was killed. Uh, but uh, Christians have walked this route in honor of St. James starting in the mid-800s. That's uh, at, at about the year 850 is when the tomb was rediscovered. And shortly after that, Christians from all over Europe uh, began to, to go to this place in, in honor of James. What's less known but equally true is, is that this route across Spain or, or the routes that lead to the co- this northwest coast of Spain have been walked, as an anthropologist we know, for at least 6,000 years and probably longer. So we're talking about uh, people walking beginning uh, four to 5,000 BCE. Now, we're not quite sure why people walked, but here's what we do know. When you go to this place on the coast of Spain, uh, which is uh, about a four-day walk beyond Santiago where the tomb of St. James is, But when you reach that place, uh, unless you've got a really good atlas, you don't realize that this part of Spain 
is under the west coast of Ireland. Just try to get a picture of this. Oh. Uh, Spain, Spain goes vertical out into the Atlantic Ocean from the European continent. And this part of Spain is the furthest part that extends out. And so, in essence, we think that these ancients, beginning 5-6,000 BCE, were walking to this place because they considered this the end of the world. And actually, there's a town there which is called Testeta, which means end of the world. And they believed that at this place, at the end of the world, when you watch the sun go down in the west and go down beneath the, the waves of the Atlantic Sea, that you were seeing the sun go down into the waters for its regeneration. So interestingly, they didn't think of the West as the place the sun goes to die. They thought of the West as the place the, where the sun goes to regenerate. Mm. Huh. And, that they, and that they likewise would make this long journey across Europe and across Spain to stand at this place, this, these, these mystical, there are two points, actually there are three points, these mystical points that go way out into the Atlantic. And if you're out there, which I've been at nighttime on a clear night, you stand there with the whole European continent behind you and before you is the Milky Way. It's, it's a, it's a, a it, it is, it's quite the experience. Wow. Then, then in the year 850, there is this tomb in what is now the city of Santiago de Compostela. And all of these miracles are being reported around this tomb. They are describing that stars are falling down from the heavens on it, that light is coming up out of it, that people are having the aroma of roses, etc. And the tomb is opened. The bishop orders the tomb to be opened. And in the tomb are some things that lead the bishop to declare this is the long-lost tomb of the evangelist and an apostle James. And from that moment, because uh, James is the only one of the apostles that is really buried uh, outside of the Middle East, and uh, this tomb becomes a place of tremendous reverence, mm. and people begin to walk there in honor of James, and as they walk, things begin to happen in their life, things that we might consider miraculous. There are healings. Uh, physical healings and emotional healings, and uh, people rediscover a sense of purpose, uh, and all manner of significance begins to happen as people are on the way to honor St. James in this tomb of his, supposed tomb of his, in Santiago. So whereas Christians today walk to Santiago, in, in, in Santiago is in Spanish, James. The Ago is James. So it's Santa, Saint, Iago, James, which we, so Santiago literally translates into English as Saint James, and Santiago de Compostela is Saint James of the Field of Stars. Compostela, in essence, means Field of Stars, and it relates to the story about how stars were coming down from the heavens and landing on this place where his tomb was discovered. Wow. But with Christian, with Christians having walked this now roughly twelve hundred years, Man. and and 
And we can now say that, that more people have walked to Santiago than anywhere else in Christendom because in the Middle Ages, for a couple of hundred years, we know that a couple of hundred thousand people walk this every year, and there are even reports that upwards of a million pilgrims walked it to Santiago. And when you add to that that this has been a place of pilgrimage going back 6,000 years ago, we now know that this is the oldest pilgrimage walk that we have in the West that we know of. There, if there are other walks that are still not known to us, that's a possibility. But of all the walks that we know, this is the oldest and the most walked, and it, and it has, there's a power there. Mm. And we don't know how to quite describe it. And, you know, the thing that I feel when I'm, when I'm walking, and I've walked now seven times, um, there is a presence there. And people will describe it as it's the presence of Jesus, it's the presence of Mary, it's, it's the presence of James. I, 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 all of that is a yes, but the other thing that I know is millions upon millions, and now we're actually talking probably about a couple hundred million pilgrims have left their sweat and their prayer on these routes to Santiago. And you feel it when you're walking, you know, you know that the ancients are walking with you. It's, it's, a, it's a very powerful and a very unusual place. There's something much more there than just two plus two. This is certainly people can go and it can be a walk in the park. But if you're open, there's, some, there's a presence there that will surprise you. So let me stop you right there for just a second. And um, I think what we're talking about here, there's, there's a couple other things I think we need to unpack for the listener before we get moving. And the things that you're talking about here, this, uh, this experience of the sacred, the numinous, the, uh, the power, the weight, the depth, the gravity, the, the transcendence, um, it's the reason that these people are called to this place. But there's plenty of other reasons. And you mentioned... Um, the word pilgrim quite a bit. There's all these pilgrims and that this is a pilgrimage. So I was wondering, that's a familiar word, but a very, very unfamiliar concept to, to me. I mean, even, and I'm sure plenty of people that are listening right now. So could we unpack um, all of that? Like, what is a pilgrimage? Why do people do that? And um, I know you have a motto behind that too. So I think that would be a, an, another great place for us to go. Well, and I want to work towards that by backing up a moment and say that many people now walk these routes for all various reasons, and all of them are good, all of them are valid. Uh, you don't need to go to Santiago because you're a Catholic who believes St. James is buried in, front, in, in the tomb. Um, people go for timeout. People go for health reasons. Uh, people go because um, they want to uh, express gratitude to uh, someone. People go in memory of a loved one who's deceased. Um, people go because there's a prayer favor that they're requesting, and they've made this promise to 
to God, to the spirit world, that they will walk this, this route. Um, people with no faith go because it's great physical exercise and there's a sense of release in being in nature for all those days or weeks. Um, so I, I don't want to give the sense that people walk this for any one reason. Mm. People walk it for every, people walk it for every reason. Yes. And almost everybody who walks has their own mm. particular reason for walking. Now, what do I mean by a pilgrim? And uh, this is my definition, and it's built upon uh, the study of uh, sort of this sort of a whole uh, field today of pilgrimage, which is opening up for study. But to me, a, a pilgrim is one who is going in search of an answer to a question that she or he has in their life that um, they are seeking an answer from something more than their ego mind. Mm. And that could be, and so you could be walking it because you have a sense of, of a higher power. You could be walking it in honor of James. You could be walking it in honor of the Christ or Mary or the Black Madonna, etc. But you are walking because there's something that you're asking in a generic sense spirit to gift you with. And to me, that's the difference. That's the definition of what I, what I call a a pilgrim in the classic sense. Mm. Mm. Um, And I would, and I would think that that sense of pilgrimage can cover almost everyone except some people are, are walking these routes as a walking holiday, and that's fine, and it's wonderful. I just, I am not sure that the attitude of a walking holiday is the attitude of a pilgrim. The, the pilgrim is there because they want to be in touch with some higher experience of, to me, spirit, that mm-hmm. they, that they want to take this time out, and they want to do the physical prayer of walking. Mm. to be in, in, in touch with what Spirit, God, Christ, all the, all the names that we may have, what, what, um, what, is, what is the next best step for me in my life? Mm. What, what's the healing step that I need? What's the reconciliation that I need, uh, et cetera, et cetera? You mentioned ego, so, ego it, mind. Could you... Unpack, yeah. unpack that just a little bit, because you said this is something past the ego mind. I think that's important. Well, I, I'm going to do that by, by going to a definition that the Roman Catholic Church used at the Second Vatican Council. Um, what the, and it's this new definition that Catholicism gave, gave for church. And what the council said in the document Lumen Gentia was, Everyone who believes in a higher power that calls you to live accountably to that power and to each other, that's what is meant by church. And it's that sense of a higher power in whatever way you name it that is the distinction between a pilgrim and a walking holiday. A walking holiday goes over 
because I want to do something. Um, rather than a pilgrim who goes over because the pilgrim is asking spirit, higher power, whatever your name for God is, to to open up something in me. Man. So that it it that the walk that the attitude only of a walking holiday is sort of ego reference. This is something I am doing for myself. Um, a pilgrim is there because in some ways they feel called by higher power or spirit to do this, to open up some place in themselves which they know that they can't access on their own power alone. So starts to shake the sleeping away dawn starts to break and life will be forever changed despite what they say one of the things i thought was very interesting about your book and and i i don't think we've mentioned it yet we need to we need to uh promote this <laughs> so um, you have this great book out called Returning from Camino, and um, it's available any, you know, on Amazon, and, and I encourage everyone to pick up a copy. But what's interesting to me is that um, I, I, I open this book um, on my computer virtually, um, <laughs> and uh, I expect you to start out with, like, this is what you're going to see when you, when you start your journey. But in fact, you start out with how to prepare for your return. And, and you put a lot of emphasis on that. And I thought that was very interesting. And I see why you did it once I read it, but I would love for you to kind of talk about that a little bit. Why is that so important to prepare for returning home uh, before you even leave? Right. And in, fact, in fact, I almost made that the title, but then I thought it was too long. But I, <laughs> the, the title was going to be Returning from Camino Even Before You Leave. <laughs> uh, love it. And yeah. Because... The return depends upon how you prepare and also how you walk. But um, let's, let me back up a little bit. You know that we've talked in the past. I was a student of Joseph Campbell. He taught me uh, in seminars at the University of Notre Dame back in, in the olden days. And Campbell kept stressing in his hero's journey that it's the fourth part of the journey, which is, the, which, which tells you what you've done. And the first part is you hear the summons to the journey, and the second part is you face all the trials and obstacles, and the third part is you receive the sense of a gift from the journey. And the fourth part is you return home, you return to community to give the gift. Mm. And unless you come home with an attitude of service, that this is not this. This is a stillborn rite of passage. That a rite of passage, which is he calls it the hero of the heroine's journey. I call it a rite of passage or a rite of transformation. Depends upon the attitude that I'm going to do this because the world is waiting for me to give my gift. Wow. And and that sense of wanting to reawaken more deeply the gift that's mine to give. Whether that's the gift of a healing in myself, of reconciliation, of justice-seeking, uh, whether it's giving more deeply the talent that I have to give, whatever it is, that I know that I go, again, 
not to the good walking holiday, but I go because spirit has a gift that it wants to awaken in me to give away to others. And that intention separates the way I prepare to go. It separates um, the way that I walk. And it also tells me, it gives me an enormous amount of uh, um, intellectual understanding and emotional content to the difficulties I'm going to face when I return home. And that those difficulties when I face when I return home are not accidents and they are not problems, that they are they are inherently necessary. If you come home from a pilgrimage and you don't have new difficulties in your life, something something got left out in the process. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a requirement. And I don't want people to go create new difficulties for themselves in coming home. If you have been awakened to something on the journey, and that's what happens when you're on the Camino. You don't change on the Camino. What happens on the Camino is you awaken, which begins the process of change. But transformation can't happen over there. It can only happen when you get home and you start making new choices, have new attitudes in the midst of everyday life. So that this, the, <clears throat> what Campbell kept saying kept emphasizing to me all those decades ago that most rites of passage and, and uh, the hero heroine's journey falls down because we only do the first three parts and we don't carry it all the way through the fourth part, which is returning home with increased ability to serve. Is that why you called it a stillborn? Like at that point, like, like the labor, the work... It's almost like it's all happening in the womb and the Camino inside of you, inside of, you know, what's going on. And it doesn't really get born until you have that labor, which is the pain, the difficulty, the obstacle. The... Right. The, the pain and the difficulties when you come home are telling you more about what it is you have to do. Unfortunately, in most in, in our culture today, we try to override those difficulties rather than meeting them rather than understanding that when you come home, you are, you are still on the Camino. And this is you know, one of my great passions. I love language. But I, I, everything in me from Campbell and all the anthropology work that I've done is one of the worst things, one of the worst language we can use when we come home is after the Camino. Mm. Nothing, could, nothing could be further from the truth. Wherever you stop walking in Spain is not your destination. It's only where you enter the second half of the Camino, which is the return home. And the return home, you, the Camino has given you all of this new information about yourself, has awakened you in some ways to what spirit wishes for you. And now the second half of the Camino is beginning to experiment and put that into practice in your life. And that's very much still the Camino. It's not after the Camino. So as a part of this, this awakening that you're talking about, it's getting us um, honed and ready and attentive 
to what's always maybe kind of been there, but we, we've either been trying to avoid it, escape it, or solve it, or, or change it, or redirect it, or manipulate it, or, and it, it instead invites you to, to, to fully live through it, face it, be aware of it, own it, right. take it in. Allow, and and allow, yeah. that, that's why an attitude, quote-unquote, of mindfulness mm. while you walk is, is really um, a very important part of the Camino because you've got days on end or weeks on end, or depending on how long you choose to walk. And no, there's no start line. Um, but these days of walking and and see and having the space to think and to feel into your life. Mm. And, and in little vignettes with other pilgrims, uh, you're going to see your life and you're going to see your patterns and you're going to see your attitudes, you're going to see your behavior. And the Camino becomes this moment uh, uh, like looking in a clear mirror because you're away from all the usual stuff of life. You're not back home. You're not in your workaday world. You're not sitting down to pay bills. Uh, you're not being interrupted by a lot of emails and phone calls and, and work obligations. And you have this chance, this time out, mm. this holy, holy time out to truly look into the mirror of your soul and look into the mirror of your life and perhaps see it more deeply than you can um, in the workaday world. Which is always there, but we're so distracted? Yes. Necessarily so. Yeah. One of the things, I'd like to keep this this kind of, um, this this topic going, because I I, I thought it was really interesting in your book. Um, One of the things that you bring up is the... um, the ability of the Camino to really make you look at your relationship with time, as you put it. Mm. And specifically for yeah. those who, who live in the West and our emphasis on, as you call it, efficiency and production, mm. or as I refer to it, um, we are a very fast food society, you know? Um, but the Camino kind of challenges that way of thinking. And, and it made me think of Adam and I recently were fortunate enough to, uh, to travel over for a week in Scotland and and even on a small, a much smaller scale, obviously, um, it, just the way of life we we felt was much slower paced, and people were much more in the moment, and and very intentional, and there were fewer distractions. And and you mentioned it time and time again how um, you know coming back is it's really an adjustment. And I think even at one point in the book you mentioned, uh, typically it takes you about seventy two hours to readjust to kind of this Western lifestyle. I felt that. Yeah, talk about that a little bit and how just the the ability on this journey to be present, to be um, in the moment, and and as you say, mindful, mindful, and and carrying very little on your on your backpack because really it's whatever you can carry that you're taking with you, and so you're really shedding that materiality. Um, how important is that to really fully experiencing the Camino, and 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 how does that impact us when we come home? Um, I, to me, these are the critical elements of pilgrimage is, is that our life gets pared down to utter simplicity. Uh, we have what we have on our back. Uh, our job today is to walk. And I add that uh, not only is our job to walk, our, our job is to be grateful for what is. And this is really the 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 
the daily challenge of the Camino. People want to say, oh, I was so grateful. I saw this beautiful, I saw the heather on the mountains there. I saw, I saw this, this goat playfully kicking up. Or, no, 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 that's not gratitude. Gratitude on the Camino is um, trying to see the grumpy hospitalier at the albergue um, and be grateful in that moment. Be grateful for what is not grateful for reaching for all, for all the high moments. Mm. And that attitude of mindfulness yes. and gratitude for what is um, stares us in the face when our life is pared down to this very simple process. There's just what's in our pack, and there's who we're walking with, and there's a little bit of food choices we have today. Um, and it, it gives the space for us to drop into a timelessness. And in that timelessness, we get to really see the effect of our lives. We get to really look at our heart. So it is, it, people will describe the Camino as, um, you know, we're, you're, you can be very away from technology if you wish. Um, you're away from the daily news. Unless you read Spanish, you're not looking at all the newspapers. Um, and there's this way that your life becomes sunrise and sunset, sunrise and sunset, um, and the road, mm. and this, this weight on your back. And the simplicity of that, underneath that, what grows is this feeling of richness and fullness and satisfaction. And then you come home, and I very, very much when I came home from my first Camino in 2012, and I walked back into the Blue Door Retreat, and I stood there, and I looked at all the beautiful thingness of that place, and realized that all that thingness didn't bring me to the place of, of deep contentment and peace. Mm that I had felt in the few things and the walking on the Camino. And that began a process for me of shedding, which I'm still, which I'm still doing. It sounds, and, and, and that, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And that, 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 boy, and it's, it's, it, we, we realize how all of this outer stuff, is keeping us away from that inner spacious. So much of what you're saying sounds like there's a um, a condensing, a concentrating that's happening, which is almost like, you know, you, I love language, I think, as much as you do. Um, when I think of condense and concentrate, it's, it's almost, you know, bringing a very, very singular unity to things. And it's amazing that you mentioned uh, timelessness, because really just time is our ability to, with technology, divide up moments and and in eternity, that doesn't make any sense. And in the contemplative mind, uh, you don't need to divide up reality anymore. 
And this is just absolutely amazing. So this non-dual thinking, this contemplative, meditative, accepting, timeless um, consciousness is something that just starts to happen. And would you say that it's just an unveiling of what's always there? An awareness of what's always kind of been there? Is that the... Of course, of course it's always there. And, and it's only that we allow so much of life, and so much of life for us in the West is a necessary part of this culture. But we allow it to, um, to cover our eyes so that we can't truly pierce it and see what's really real. And, and, I, and I want to just, I, I, you know, I, I love the Camino. It's become my passion to take people on the Camino. Mm. But the Camino is not the only place this happens. And you, you, talk, you, you touch this in Scotland. We, people touch this in places, holy, sacred nature places everywhere in the world. We touch this on really good retreats, etc. Um, for me, there is a uniqueness about the Camino and the uniqueness of my personality where the, put those two things together and the Camino to me is just one of my most lively spiritual practices. I'm smiling but just I, thinking about please it. Please don't, don't hear, you've got to go do the Camino. Uh, if the Camino calls to you, consider it. But what's really important is where can you find these experiences uh, more frequently uh, near you, wherever you live? I mean, I can speak from experience, Alexander, that um, I used to look at my morning routine as uh, a bunch of activities. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to X, Y, and Z. And it was uh, quite a bit of anxiety and just activity. And when I started committing myself to just mindfulness meditation and silence with um, the ability to journal if I need to, I started to find tastes of exactly what you're talking about right now. It was amazing that one of the first things I started writing down in those moments when I stopped doing everything and I allowed things to just be and condense, um, the first thing I started writing as a prayer, and it just came to me, was thank you everything for all of this. And it's exactly what you're saying, the gratitude for all of it, not just for the things I want, not just for the things that I think are nice, but for all of it. Man. So one of the things that... Yeah, there's there's, a, there's a, a, a brief prayer meditation that with the pilgrims I lead every year, we start every morning with. And it comes from the Buddhist tradition. I, I think it's a... I, I think we can find this, the very same sentiment in the Beatitudes. But in the Buddhist tradition, this, this sort of prayer before meditation or morning prayer reads, grant that I may be given today on this walk the appropriate difficulties and suffering Mm. so that my heart will be awakened and my practice of compassion and liberation for all beings may be fulfilled. And and, And that to me is the essence of pilgrimage where I choose to invite spirit to help me this day. Give me the experiences even if they are difficulties and sufferings, give me the experiences so that my heart may be awakened. And for me, it's like I want my heart awakened in gratitude for everything. Yeah, so and, free. And, and I'm not, 
I'm not praying, you know, don't guilt me, don't shame me. None of us need one extra ounce of suffering. I don't want to go into martyrdom or victimhood. But on the Camino, you're you're going to have the body hurts. You're going to have the stomach aches. Um, you're going to have that pilgrim walking alongside of you who just pushes your buttons <laughs> in every way possible. And in those moments, rather than fighting those experiences, to softly lean into them and say, there's something here that's helping my heart awaken deeper. One of the things that I thought was really interesting that you talk about, and it kind of go back to, you know, how to, how to really um, embrace what you experienced upon your return. And one of the things you talk about um, is you try to find a mentor or a, um, uh, yeah, a trusted mentor um, with whom you can share your story of what you experienced. And you have this great line where you talk about the need to tell the stories in order to remember to remember. Mm. Talk about that. Yes. Mm. yes. Well, I, I, I want to talk about both sides of that. And one of the things that I remind and caution um, pilgrims, I would say the same thing if you're making the four gospel journey or any deep experience which has the possibility of transformation. Most people, unless you are extremely, have an extremely rare and gifted circle of friends, most people don't want to hear those stories. Uh, I remember when I came back from the Camino the very first time, it's like I had promised my family I would be home for Thanksgiving and I sat down at Thanksgiving and they traditionally asked me to say grace and so I I let all of us in grace, and, and then the food gets passed, and somebody turned to me and said, you've been walking in Spain, tell us something about that. And somebody else at the table said, oh, you can read about that in Google. And, and, um, and we never really got back it, but to even hearing the first level of the story, this is generally true. When you go on the Camino and come home, Most people, unless they are really close to you and know you well, want to hear about the funny story, want to hear about um, the historical sites that you saw, want to hear about the food you ate. They don't want the deep story of transformation that you're in the middle of. And so what you need to keep remembering to remember is you need those one or two people who are there for you as a listener. And, and whether they are just good listeners or whether they come out of 12 steps or whether they're a trained counselor or a spiritual director or, 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 or a minister, whoever, it's somebody who knows that something is going on with you and the best way for you to figure out what it is that is the next step in your growth is to keep telling the story and they'll listen to you as the story changes. Mm. And they can point out to you how the story is changing. And those unintended changes in your story will be really keys to what, what Spirit is asking you to grow into in your life. So um, there are a series of things that I suggest in the book. And one is, to write yourself a letter right before you leave to go on the Camino. 
about what you're thinking about, what you're hoping for, you'll be surprised when you get home and read that letter again how things have changed. Wow. And unless you have that letter, you won't remember. Because it's like we get in the stream and we forget actually where this whole journey started. Absolutely. That's so um, true, just life in so, general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, this is, the, the book is just filled with common sense pieces, but uh, I'm very honored that the book is out there and I'm hearing from so many pilgrims all over the world about, gosh, um, this just makes sense. Because it's really hard to remember to remember. It seems so simple, but it's, it's very hard because once we get home, bills have to be paid, spouse is waiting to talk to us, children have to get to soccer practice, boss at work has been waiting for us with all this stuff to do, et cetera, et cetera. And life just comes flooding in, and soon the Camino can feel like it ended somewhere back there. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. There's, there's something that you said that just reminds me so much of just uh, our normal spiritual journeys. When you have some kind of an awakening and you want to share it, there's so many people that just want you to make small talk. There's so many people that just want you to tell another funny joke. There's so many people that just want to, you know, and and it reminds me something of what... Uh, and, 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 do, and do that. Sure, sure, sure. Like, absolutely. I, I'm... Yeah, have those stories for those people. That's what they need. Right. But just realize, don't throw your, don't throw your pearl before people who aren't ready to receive it. Right, because it can be very, very frustrating and isolating and discouraging um, if you're not ready for that, if you're not expecting that. And it reminds me of something that I just read recently from Anthony DeMello when he was talking about waking up and how we have to remember that the fundamental mode is we do not want to wake up. You have to know that you don't, you don't want to wake up and that other people don't want to wake up and that if you are shining a light on the idea of waking up, it is shame-inducing and, and, and uh, almost feels self-righteous or um, abrasive to people that just aren't, aren't ready for that right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, whether it's because they haven't had an experience and they don't know how to respond or that your awakening and beginning to change scares them. Right. Because there, there are things that they may need to grow into, but they're afraid to start that journey. So my, my, again, again, my, my, great, my great hope and prayer is don't fight those people. No. Don't make them less than. No. Um, ex- ex- love, love them, and and but also don't give your pearls away because what will happen when you give your pearls away to somebody who's not ready to receive them is is that they will try to diminish your pearl. Yeah, and coming back from the Camino, you're in a vulnerable place. I, I describe it as as not having skin on, and that's why I talk about the seventy two hours. Um, you know, re- remember coming back from the moon, how long our astronauts had to stay in quarantine. Um, 
And in earlier days, people coming back to the villages after initiation had to sit outside the village for a few days before they entered. Um, that we need those transition spaces. We, we, we don't realize how much, how simple our life has gotten on the Camino and how much our heart is wide open. By the time we reach the place, we stop walking and turn around. And then we walk back into Western culture and it just overwhelms us. And, and it, we, we're shivering because we're standing there naked. Uh, and we need to slowly rearmor ourselves, but to rearmor not in a way that we forget what the Camino has awakened in us, but understand that we need to put the armor on so we can deal with the day-to-day life again while we continue the process of transformation. Man. One of the things I would love for you to touch on is something that you, you mentioned in the book that I thought was really interesting, and it kind of ties back to uh, one of our pr- prior interviews with you, um, I believe your Easter message, <clears throat> excuse me, but you referenced the existence of images of dark or black Madonna in churches along this route, and the importance, or, or um, rather, the fact that um, the idea of darkness is not necessarily a negative, and I would love for you to talk about um, why is that important, why, why is darkness not necessarily a bad thing? Um, oh, wow. Where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Anywhere. Um, one of the things that I love, there are so many things I love about Spain. Uh, we forget that Spain is the oldest culture of Europe. We forget that when, uh, our ancestors came out of Africa, they came into Spain and they lived in Spain um, upwards of fifteen to 20,000 years before going over to the, over the Pyrenees into the rest of what we think of as the European continent. Uh, we forget that uh, Spain was the first country in Europe to receive Christianity uh, because of James. James left Israel, Palestine by boat somewhere in the mid-30s, first century, and went to Spain to evangelize. Uh, the, the Christianity in Spain, not the Christianity that came to the Americas, North, Central, and South America. I don't know where those missionaries came from. The Christianity that's in Spain is an old indigenous Christianity. It lives very close to the earth. And because it lives close to the earth, it lives very close to the holy dark. Mm. And one of the things that we need to remember is that the Madonna image in Christianity, until the period of the Enlightenment, the Madonna image was always dark-skinned because not that this was a historical representation of Mary, it's a representation of the dark, the dark womb. And you might even say that the, the, the dark Madonna is a, 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 pers- a personification of the dark womb of God from which we have all ushered forth. There it is. And so in, in Spain, you will find many, 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 many churches 
where where the Madonnas are very dark, much darker than just the pigmentation of the Spanish people. And and it, it holds this sense of that darkness is the place from which God's new grace ushers. And seeing the dark Madonna reminds us of the fact that we all usher forth from this holy darkness that's part of God. I could go on, but, you know. <laughs> please, please, by all um, means. Help, well, uh, you know, it's, so this is a correct, I mean, the period of the Enlightenment, which was necessary at that point because, because we needed to correct the excesses of darkness. But what we have to do today is we have to find a new harmony between the holiness of darkness and the holiness of light and how dark and light in holiness and in wholeness are in interplay with each other and both are profound images of our God. Mm. And, th- and this is why in Judaism and also in Christianity until 400 years ago, sunset and the going into the dark was the beginning of the new day because we understood that when we come to a time of inner darkness, inner darkness is not the end time. Inner darkness is the beginning time. Bam. And I don't mean, mean to say that all, dark, all inner darkness feels good. No, uh, darkness oftentimes has that place of confusion and uncertainty and perhaps even anxiety about it. But our tradition wants us to understand that uncertainty with God is the place God begins to grow us anew. And so, therefore, Judaism marked the entrance into the dark time every day as the beginning of the new day. And Christianity continued that until the 1600s. Catholicism has returned to that practice, marking every church day starting at sunset. Not because of the clock, but, but, but to help us remember that darkness can be the holy face of God, and it's the place we begin again. I would like the listener to reference our previous episode with Alexander Shia, <laughs> Radiance in the Darkness. Yes. That was a little taste. I like to tie things yeah. back to prior talks. And it's absolutely, and, and Alexander, just to keep on this thought just a little bit, um, in order to hold together something we're not very good at doing in a post-Enlightenment Western culture, in order to hold together the light in the darkness as the face of God, as the experience of God, do we need that non-dual contemplative mindful spirituality? Could you just talk on that a little bit? Well, absolutely. And, and just seeing the wheel of the day, seeing sunset, darkness, deep dark, dawn, first light, radiance of the sky, moving back to sunset, seeing that as whole, helps us physically remove from this duality that's been set up about light and dark fighting each other. Mm. What a bunch of hooey. <laughs> Where did that, 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 that came from, uh, that came from the excesses of the enlightenment. There was a gift in the enlightenment, but, but there was an excess there. And the excess was, is that we fell into this heresy, small truth, that light must overcome darkness. Well, 
light and darkness are in a wheel, and that that's the non-dual, non-duality is seeing how large light and dark are need to be in right relationship with each other. They need to be in interplay with each other. Um, and so that we also can see our giftedness and our woundedness not as fighting each other, but it's often our woundedness, which is where our giftedness comes from. Absolutely. So that, that, that we don't look at difficulty as something that we need to overcome. That's a dualistic, but we can see that do, do difficulties in, in the heart of them, they're trying to give us a gift of awareness. One other thing that I'd like to touch on at the end here, sweet, sweet Uncle Shia, <laughs> is something that I think that we've been talking about this whole time, but I'd like to just bring some emphasis, some attention to it. And, and that's the importance of, you know, this, this pilgrimage, this walking. Um, there's so much physicality to it. Um, there's smells and sights and ground and body and, 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 you know, so all the senses are engaged and there's a, a full orbed experience here. And I, I'd like you to just talk a little bit at the end, because I think we need to hear this, especially as, um, very intellectual, um, technology baptized civilization as we are um, that have relegated spirituality to something that is purely in the intellect or the mind. Let's talk about the importance of pilgrimage and the journey as an embodied incarnated spirituality. Um, it, it is for me. And I, when I went on the king of, to walk the Camino for the first time in 2012, I had all of these exalted thoughts about <laughs> the hours of prayer I was going to do and the deep meditations I was going to do as I walked every day. And I, I will tell you that those rather quickly um, faded away. <laughs> and what I discovered is that the prayer and the meditation was in the sensuousness of the physical exertion. Oh. and the sweat, and the smell, and the grime, and the, the hard concrete, and the beautiful fields, um, the valleys, and the mountaintops. It, it, was, it was incarnation. It was living into this moment, being here, not looking at my phone, not looking at my tablet, not answering a phone call, being right here, and I, I didn't have days of, of experiencing this. I, I had many, many moments and maybe even a couple of times, almost a full hour, where I really felt present in my body with everything that was going on in my body, even if my blisters were aching and my knees were swelling. But I was here. And I knew that being here, just as I was in this place, was holiness. So as we as we kind of conclude this talk about the Camino, what what um, final thoughts do you want to leave the listeners with on on the Camino? I, I'd like to, and for anyone who actually feels called and is able to co walk the Camino, great. But to me, the best use of the Camino is it's a metaphor 
for our life right now, and especially what's going on right now. Uh, and that may be years of being a parent or um, taking care of someone who's ill, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that, that there are many inner caminos that we must walk. And that, that privileged time to go to Spain and walk that Camino can just be a very powerful, clear mirror and metaphor for all of life. And sometimes we need a time out to see how everyday life is truly pilgrimage. And I think, as I've often said before when talking to you, I I think that's how we have to end this episode. Um, So good. uh, We missed you so much, and we will definitely make a a very strong effort to make sure that we don't... um, have this much time passed between conversations with you. <laughs> the so, real question is, when are you going to come to I, the Midwest? Take... You need oh. to come to the Midwest so I can yes. incarnate my spirituality I, in a big bear hug. I do. We need to sit over a drink and a meal. We do. Oh, yes, we do. Absolutely. No, no All question. Right. So some, somewhere before the end of next year, somewhere, I don't know that's going to happen in 2019, but in 2020, Yes. I'm making you this promise. Oh, I, can, can I take, can I take one more minute? Yes, Please. absolutely. Yes. I, yes. I, I need to, well, <laughs> say so, whatever you want. Well, I, 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 I have a new, I have a new partnership this for this year's Camino and next year's Camino 2019 and 2020 with the missional wisdom foundation, which is this fabulous work out of Dallas, Texas Methodist based. And I really, encourage people to go on the missional wisdom foundation website and see the the work that they're doing in inner cities but they also have asked me to be their camino pilgrimage leader and uh, this year's pilgrimage is is wonderfully full and we have a wait list but next year is uh we're just beginning interviews and if people are so interested it is 59 days um and you can go to the Quadratus website, www.quadratus.com, and go to the events page. And on the events page, there's all the details about what's involved in this 59-day Camino and the cost uh, and the date and the interview and discernment process, et cetera. And I would just love to have the chance to talk to you. Whether you end up going on the Camino, that's not up to me. That's up to spirit. But I would love to have the chance to talk to you about this experience if you feel so called. And I would love to support you on the Camino in any way that you want. Oh, that's great. Um, I, people go there. If you're interested, obviously go to his website, but um, pick up his, his other book, pick up um, uh, Heart and Mind. And it, it was an influential book. Uh, for Adam and I, and it, it led to our, our friendship with you. So um, we can't recommend that one enough yeah. as well. Um, go out and check it, uh, check it out. Um, and uh, where else, you know, what else are you up to right now? Like what, what can people uh, look forward to? At, at this very moment, I'm pushing on the Christmas book that I think is going to be called the 13 days of Christmas. Oh, and yes, it, please. It's, yes. Bringing, it, it's bringing forward the old Celtic celebration, um, which uh, we've sort of lost in our tradition. So what do we really do between the winter solstice and the 6th of January? 
um, when our ancients were just beginning the feast of Christmas, and for most of us, we're beginning to pack the tree away. Yeah. Oh, and can we can we put in so, a personal I mean, request? <laughs> can, sure. After you get done with that, which we will promptly buy, but can you please do an Easter book? <laughs> uh, that oh, was you have to make clearly. a book. You have to write the Resurrection Is book. Yes, yes, that was one of our well, absolute clearly, favorite talks. Clearly. Yes. <laughs> Clearly. And I, I will actually tell you that I'm hoping that the Christmas book is popular enough that it will give me the financial resources to take the time out to do the Easter book, which is the Easter book is going to be really a long process, but it is next after this book is done. So, so is there is there any particular, is there a time frame? Like, do you, do you have a, a potential release date? Will it be out this year? Or? The Christmas book? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this is this is the plan right now, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm trying to commit myself by speaking it. But I'm gonna put this Christmas book out um, this fall as an unadorned, very simple book. And I'm looking for a publisher. Uh, I have an idea about how to make this book sort of beautiful with graphics and pictures, and mm. um, but that is going to to be a much longer project. So the, the content of it will be out this year. The more beautiful uh, book will be out, I hope, by fall of next year. Perfect. Well, we would absolutely love to have you on to talk about that book and help promote it in <laughs> any way that we can, if for no other reason than to get Resurrection Is. Uh, we'll do a freaking GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We will crowdfund this thing, whatever we need to do. Um, well, that'd be amazing. You should just talk to Rob and have him get Oprah <laughs> yeah. involved. Yeah. And then yes. we'll, be, we'll all be good. The power of Oprah. You, you, you don't tell Rob, but you guys are the best. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. We won't. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on again. And uh, this is always a pleasure. And um, We love you so much. Gosh, yeah. We can't say that enough. <laughs> Likewise. Well, and, and I am coming to uh, I am coming to the Midwest next year, so count on it. Done, Perfect. done, done, and done. All right, you have a place to Ciao. stay, my house. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, all right. <laughs> Take care, guys. Grace and peace. You are more real than I know. Help me remember. Beautiful
to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.